Good morning. Whoa, so excited to see you all. Thank you so much for coming. Um, yeah, after this, I better deliver, right? So, you know, Pastor John is on a trip, so I got the uh, privilege to speak this morning, so thank you so much. But I'm very excited. So, um, you know, growing up in Brazil, there is so much uh, to enjoy at life, enjoy life as, as a kid. So I'm going to share a little bit about what it's like growing up as, as a kid in Brazil. So there's one thing that everybody is so excited about Brazil. Um, it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, it doesn't matter what kind of quality of life you have, but soccer is huge. We call football, which will create a little bit of confusion here. But it's so exciting. Brazilians, they get so excited about soccer. So there's so many things that are happening in the country, but there's one thing that everybody has in common is the desire, the love, and the passion for that sport. And it's very interesting growing up in that environment, and in the, only if you're there, you can understand what I'm talking about. It's not like Super Bowl. Don't, it's big. It's huge. The whole country stops when there's games. And, and I remember in um, 2002 when Brazil was playing, and we have 700,000 people in my, in my hometown. And the main avenue that crossed the whole entire city, where it's so busy, you know, it's one of the most, I mean, it's bumper to bumper anytime during the day. And the reporter for the sports news did a 10-minute segment before the game where he was standing in the middle of the main avenue and no cars at all. It was a desert island. So everybody's watching the game and everybody's so excited about that. And then, and then I remember like growing up and going to, to, to the games, even in hometown, we have a big stadium, we have a professional team uh, at home. And one of my favorite things to do as a kid it was to go in the games and watch the games. But there's something that happens on those games. You go in a stadium and they're made out of like concrete and it fits about 40,000 people. And the stadium is completely full. And I remember as a little boy sitting and watching with my dad eating peanuts. And, and then as you sit in there, the crowd made so much noise that I didn't understand earthquake until that. It shakes completely the stadium as they're celebrating. They're so excited for the game. So being a fan of soccer, it's so cool in Brazil. And you can feel in your chest almost like a heartbeat, right? The crowd just so excited, and you were so excited. And I remember my dad asking me what I want to do when I, when I grow up. And every single kid would say this in Brazil, I want to be a professional soccer player. So, and I remember, you know, going as a kid, when I turned 14, I told my dad, I want to test. There's a, it's different in here, so we have to do a selective test to become part of their academy for professional, to be professional. So I said, Dad, I want to do this. So I put my name down, you know, I had somewhat natural abilities when it comes to playing that sport. And, and I come in, and there's 400 kids and they're doing this test. And somehow, I passed the test. And I really, really wanted to be professional. I wanted, because I remember 
watching the guys, and you know, you you be uh, on a on the exit where the players will come, and you'll be waiting there with your jersey for them to sign. You know, and I remember the popularity that they will have. They're all over the news. I'm like, I wanted that. You know, I'm so excited being in the stands, but I wanted that. I want to feel that excitement of being a soccer player and being idolized by, by Brazilians. So that was my dream. So I passed the test. So 400 kids, and they select a few kids, U14, so I got to play. So the first day, so they, they tell you, they sit all the kids together. There's like 22 kids, and they tell you what's going to happen during that period of time. So they will tell you this, okay, Monday, you've got to come. We're going to do some running. So you do the fitness part. And then, and then Tuesday, we're going to do weightlifting. And then Wednesday, we do more running. And then Thursday, we do some like things to learn a little bit of the basics of soccer. And then Friday, we have games. You rest, and then Saturday, you have games. So the first week, I remember being sick to my stomach. I mean, really, like, sick. I was so sick from running, and I remember, like, this is no fun at all. Where are all the girls? Where are all the fame? Right? Where, where are all the the cheer from the crowd. So I was not excited to be on that spotlight. So, and weeks went by, and I remember coming back with full blisters and uh, sick, really sick. I couldn't keep food. And, and then I lost a lot of weight. Uh, it wasn't fun at all. I hated the whole thing. The whole experience was disaster. I hated it. Because I remember, like, being a fan is so much easier. You're there cheering for people, but you always think that, that it's be so, it would be so exciting to be on that spot, but you don't understand in the background, you know, all you see is a fraction of really what it meant to be playing that sport, but the rest of the time you're just working a lot, running and running and running and running. So I finally told my dad, I was like, I don't want that. I just want to be on the stands and eat peanuts. So... And I give up the whole thing. Being a soccer fan was not fun at all. I mean, it was fun, but playing, being a player was not fun at all. And I hated the whole experience. I realized how much easier it was going to be just to sit in there watching the game and eating peanuts with my dad. But especially in sports, I mean, we have some kind of a, uh, you can relate to other things. Not just in sports, but some of the things that you desire to do, even professionally, that you would like to do something. And then you put this in your head that it will be much easier. Uh, it will be so easy to actually do those things. Even like becoming a pastor. You know, I remember it was like, oh, man, so be, I would watch Billy Graham on TV. And I'm like, that would be so awesome. All the crowds are surrendered to God. And, then, you know. But then you, you go through seminary, and then they tell you all the things you have to do to get even a message done, and you're like, ugh, so much work, you know? But it's like that in everything in life. When you stand behind and watch things happening, it's so easy when you're just sitting down. And I feel like a lot of times we take the same approach when we come to our faith, you know, I would say it's an argument to be made that sometimes that's how we live our relationship with Jesus. 
You know, at some point in our lives, we, some of you made a decision to follow Christ, to become a Christian, and we have a relationship with Christ, and there's so many benefits that comes with making a decision to follow Christ. But we make a decision, but then all of a sudden we find ourselves that we take just the benefits of that relationship. We come in on the weekends, you know, you do your duties coming in. We admire the teachings. We read about Jesus in the Bible, and we fall in love with some of the things that he talks about. But then when the circumstances become a little bit hard, or becoming a Christian requires a little bit of sacrifice, we just don't like it all. And I feel that sometimes churches are like big stadiums full of Jesus fans. But you see, Jesus never called us to be just fans. Go make fans of Christ. That's not what he said, right? It's to make disciples for us to understand more of what the Bible and what God has for us and his plans and become followers and today, you know, it is my desire that the same way as I came here today, I'm looking at my life and at times where I don't take a stand of being a Christian and really living up a life as a follower. There's something, some sacrifice that I have to pay as a Christian that I feel like, oh, God is so hard. But it's the desire that I have for you today that you come here a little bit challenged on that area to not be just fan, but followers of Christ you know, I remember growing up in church, you know, I like everything about Jesus. You know, I wear a cross. I remember having a cross, and I have some of those bracelets that I'm wearing right now. What would Jesus do? Right? I love that. I went to camp. I listened to the pastor preaching. I pray before the meals and before going to bed. And it seems like I believe that my knowledge of Jesus and my good behavior made me a follower of Christ. But really, deep down, I didn't know Jesus very well. Not an intimate way. Because I remember not surrendering completely to God. Okay, I go to church, I do some of the duties of Christian, but I don't want to pay any price to be your follower. And sometimes we go in life like this, don't we? Well, I don't, we don't mind some of the Jesus touch-ups. You know, changes some things here and there. We, we don't mind at all some of the small behavior modifications. Okay, let's change a few things here. Don't do this. Don't do that. But can we really say that we're completely surrendered to Christ? Everything. Because God does not call us just for behavior modification. In fact, if you look through the Bible, you're not going to see that. First, he goes to the heart, a heart transformation. Then there is behavior modification. But first, it has to happen, a heart transformation. And some of us, we go through church like I did, and we modify some of the behaviors that we have, but there's not really a transformation, a heart transformation. But only you can answer this question, and only me, we can answer this question. Are you a Jesus fan or a follower? And really, what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
We'll talk a little bit about that today. And, and I, I wish we're not the only ones that struggle with that question of being a fan or being a follower. The disciples, and through the whole entire Bible, we see that. The disciples especially, they had to answer the same questions that you and me have to answer today about following Christ. You see examples after examples of people that Jesus put them in a position where they have to choose to be a fan or a follower of Christ, to go to the next level. And sometimes he did that in a one-on-one situation or sometimes in the big crowd of people where he talked to different people and he challenged in the same way that they would take a step to surrender everything to Christ. And we see this passage in Luke chapter 9. And to understand a little bit of what's going on, so at this point, Jesus has been with the disciples for about three years. So, and there's so many miracles happening, and there's this introduction of the Messiah where he comes in, and there's miracles following Jesus. But right in the middle of Luke, we see uh, a shift in, in his ministry. We start seeing that he goes, he continued doing the miracles, but then he started to take an approach and talking about that he needed to die. Because at this point, he was telling everybody, okay, don't tell anybody. We're doing some miracles here and there. And he goes from town to town to town, and it was not time yet for him to be fully revealed. But he was getting crowds and crowds of people following him. So and all of a sudden, right in the middle, he has this conversation. But before that, you've got to remember that the, the, the same chapter you're going to see that there is the multitude where he, he fed a multitude of people. They're saying that it's about 5,000 people plus women and kids. There's a ton of people. And Jesus was becoming famous. But then all of a sudden, you, you, it seems to be like Jesus leaves the crowd for a little bit, and then he takes a 25-mile walk. Are we going to get to that point where I have to walk that much, by the way? Not in the car, okay? 25 miles walking distance. Took a long time. They didn't have to go quick with a car or like we, the way we do today. So they have to walk that distance. And Jesus walked 25 miles with the disciples, and then he goes to this place to pray. And he goes in there, and he says, okay, I want to go pray. We don't know for sure if he was praying by himself or disciples were kind of with him in there. And that's the position where we have, where it starts this chapter. In verse 18, and here's what it says. So Jesus does all this, and I love it that I did a little bit of research that the place where he was standing, it was Caesarea Philippi. And if you do a little bit of a research on that spot, it's so meaningful to us. Because it says that there's about 14 different temples that are built right there. I've never been there, but I would love to be there. And it says that it's a green, beautiful place. And so many temples were built. There's runes. There's different temples that were built there. And then right in the middle, there's the Jordan River that actually feeds the whole entire town. And it looked like Jesus is sitting right on, the, on top of that. 
And then it's almost like he's telling the disciples, despise of all that, despise where I am, despise where all what means this spot where we are. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you two questions. The first question he asks, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Who do the crowds say I am? If we do a poll in U.S., we're going to get different answers about that question. But Jesus asked that specific to the disciples. Who do people say I am? And I was wondering about that because why would Jesus would ask that? Is that because he didn't know? I, I don't think so. I think he was doing that to ask a very important, a more important question after that. And here's what they, they say, verse 19. They reply, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, the one of the prophets for of long ago has come to life. So all these people, we just talk about a lot of people following Jesus for his miracles. They didn't have much of understanding who he was. In fact, if you think about it, they were really divided about their answers. Some say he's John the Baptist. They didn't know much about him because John Baptist and Jesus were almost ministering at the same time. They were a little confused about who he was. And then based on the miracles and the healing power, they thought that he was Elisha. Because Elisha in the Old Testament was like that. In fact, if you look at the two last verses in Malachi, you're going to see that there is an idea of how Elisha, which is a prophecy about the Messiah, that how he would reign, how he would be like. And it talks about his power, his miraculous power, and he was going to destroy the nation that was oppressing God's people. So they have this idea that maybe he was Elisha. But also one thing common that you see based on those two, they were thinking Jesus was a powerful leader, a warrior, or a political leader. They have this understanding that Jesus was not coming for the way he said he did, but to come and overthrown the, overthrown the Roman Empire. Isn't that interesting? They understand. Some of them are so confused that they thought that Jesus would come for those reasons. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, there only John, the Gospel of John, talks about after the feeding of 5,000, what happened? The people want to crown him king. They say, no, 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 come here. Let me put a crown on you because you are the one that they talk about it to free us from the Roman Empire. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not what I came for. And then he goes, I walk away. It's very interesting that a lot of times we, as Christians, we have this misunderstanding of who Jesus is. So don't be the crowd. Don't be the crowd. Don't be confused. 
don't take a poll about who Jesus is. In fact, if you go back when I was 14, 15, you ask me who's Jesus, I would say whatever my parents said they were, that he was. My faith was based on my parents' faith. I didn't have my own. I like Jesus. But if you ask me that question, I would say the same thing. I don't know, a good guy. Don't be like the people. The multitudes of people were following him only for the benefits, the miracles, the hope to provide them a better life, comfort life. But Jesus goes from what the popular poll would say about him to a very, very direct and defining question. And that question, each one of us had to answer. Each one of us had to answer. The question was, but what about you? He asked. Who do you say? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? This is a great question. A question that the way we answer that, it can dictate about our relationship with Christ. The way you answer that question will tell where you are in that relationship with Christ. And you might be thinking, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus for you? I remember when I was about to date my wife, okay? So, there's a lot of tension into that. And I remember that um, I talked to her, and we were good friends for about a year. She was in Brazil. We, we were really close friends. And it's getting to the point where she was going to go back to, to uh, she was going to go to Mozambique. And about a month later, I feel like there is, this decision to be happen uh, to happen in our relationship, and, and I remember there's tension to it because all my friends were like, "You guys meant for each other," and and I just did not like that. I was like, "I gotta make that decision." And I remember it's like, "But she's gonna go," you know. There's all those things, pros and cons, and you know, I was trying to decide. She's a godly woman. I I, I want to believe I'm a godly man. I can offer something, but. We have this tension going on, and then I remember I would talk to her and I'd say, hey, I need to talk to you. Okay, I'm here. You know, a day will pass, and then I'll call her again and say, hey, I need to talk to you. Okay, when? Uh, I'm not sure yet. You know. Casey, I really, really want to talk to you. I'm free this week. What do you want to do? Uh, I, I'm not sure. And I did this for about a week, and finally... This is what I fell in love even more about my wife. She didn't care so much about telling me what I want to hear, okay? There's something to be said about that in a relationship. It's a good thing. So she said, hey, you know what? I'm here. When you want to talk to me, just come. Don't just call me and don't do anything about it. I was like, whoa, I got to really go for ice cream. So finally, I knock on her door. I say, hey, let's go for ice cream and we'll talk about it. We had to talk about our relationship. And I remember having ice cream that melted completely while I was talking to her about my feelings for her and what I desire. You know, 
Why I'm sharing this with you? Because a lot of times we have that kind of a relationship with Christ and no commitment. We say things. We say, hey, I want to go there. I want to do this. I want to, you know, I want to be close to God. I want to I I do those things. I want to be a follower of Christ. But not yet. Not yet. Not yet. A little bit later. A little bit later. And we keep pu- pu- pushing off, pushing off, pushing off. And I feel like God is sitting there like, hey, I'm right here. When are you going to commit completely? So uh, when are you going to go from admiration, liking as a fan, to really make a commitment to be a follower all the way in? Commitment, 100% commitment. And here's what Peter says, verse 20. God's Messiah. God's Messiah. There's no going around. You are God's Messiah, the one that came to save the world. Peter knew Jesus in a very intimate way. He left everything behind to follow Christ immediately. No hesitation. The Messiah. The Messiah of the heart of God. The Messiah of the heart of God. The one who will die for our sins. Not the Messiah that you guys believe. The one that's going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. Don't we do that at times? We want a God to fit into our agendas as, as far as Jesus goes. As far as his plan, his mission. Peter says God's Messiah the one that came to save the world from their sins. So we see this after receiving the polling data, knowing all what other people say about him. Jesus, this is crucial. Jesus explains after Peter, after Peter says who he is, Jesus started talking about, so now that you know who I am, here's what we have to do. There's one point in our lives that we have to make the same, same decision. When we come to Christ, when we surrender to Christ, when we made a decision to follow him, we need to know what that means as Christians. If you have the same or similar answer like Peter, we're going to move to the next step. The next step. And Jesus changed his approach. He's going to talk about, and he talks about he's going to have to die. Very different. Verse 21, he says this. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man might, nope, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on a third day be raised to life. Now that you understand who I am, I'm going to tell you what it means to be a follower of Christ, understanding the plan that he has for you. And Peter and other disciples, wait, 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 wait. That's not what Messiah is supposed to do. We're having such a great time. You're feeding tons of people. It's so beneficial to follow you. What do you mean about you're going to have to die? 
And you see that over and over, and every time that Jesus predicts his death to his disciples, the ones that actually walked really close to him, they said, no, you don't supposed to be doing that. Even the last encounter, there's no way we're going to let that happen. And Peter was always the one saying that, by the way. No, 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 no. You don't supposed to die. This is great. Important word for us to understand is must. Must suffer. Be rejected. Must be killed. That was his plan. The plan before even the creation of the world. The plan of the Messiah die for our sins. Now that you know who I am. Now that you know that I came to save the world. Here's your place on this plan. Here's your mission. Here's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And this is what it means to us to be a follower of Christ. Verse 23. Then he said to them, Whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple, again, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever. That means anybody. It doesn't mean the ones who walk the right way, the religious ones, the ones that dress a certain way. It says whoever. Whoever. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you lay down in bed and you feel guilty about sins that you committed in the past. Whoever. All the sinners. Being a sinner does not disqualify you to be a follower of Christ. It's the condition. Because you are a sinner, then you need to follow Christ. You don't have to be self-righteous. Jesus dealt with a lot of self-righteous people. But he went for the sinners. And for the sinners, he asked, follow me. Wait, wait, wait. Clean up yourself first. Do the right thing. Talk the right way. And then you follow me. No, follow me right now. Right now. There is a condition to it. Here's the condition to be a follower, though. Once you made a decision to go in, all the way in, it becomes really hard. Because anyone can be a Jesus follower, but there is a price to be paid. Do you want to be a follower of Christ? Here's the condition. Must deny themselves. It means yes to God and no to self. It doesn't mean like, okay, you're denying your desires like this. Uh, I would like to eat this, but no, no. I have to deny, I have to deny myself. I want to eat this? No, no, no. I'm not going to eat that. I want to buy this? I don't want to buy it. Sometimes it does mean that, but it means... Don't be selfish. Don't make everything about you. Don't sit on the throne of your own life. That's what it means. Denying that you're in charge of yourself. It's a complete denial of who you are. But you are everything in God. Because everything is in God. In Jesus. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. Humility... Humility is not thinking less about yourself or poorly about yourself. It's really not thinking about yourself at all. 
It's not about you. It's about Jesus in you for a better life. We either live our lives for ourselves, for our own agendas, and you live a life as a Christian, whatever is convenient to you, to us, or we deny our own desires that keeps us God from being the center of our lives. And I love these two ideas. The take up the cross. I love this. Because a lot of times, we feel like it's a burden we, we're carrying, right? Like, like, oh man, I have this boss, and he's a cross that I have to carry. I'm in this relationship, that's the cross I have to carry. That's not what it means. It's not a bad marriage. It's not the fact that you don't have a lot of money. It's not that you're going to take some of the inconvenience. It means death, death to the old way. That's what it means, take up a cross. It's dying completely to God. In those days, everybody knew what the cross meant. And a lot of times, we, we don't. We have this sanitized idea of what, really what the cross means. It's not about religious ceremonies. It's not about only coming to church on a Sunday morning. It's not about spiritual feelings. It's the way they executed people. It's dying completely for sin. It's surrendering everything. So you know what Jesus is saying about us living our lives? As if every day we walk down on a death row. Every single day, walk on a death row for him, for Christ. And the two words that we hear here is deny self and take up cross. In essence, they both mean the same thing. It's the self-denial of your own will, your own desires. Jesus is saying, if we wanted to follow him, we need to abandon our personal ambitions to serve him. And if it's some of the things that you do is part of the plan, amen to that. But there's times that you'll be uncomfortable. You're going to have difficulties. You have to make some sacrifice to follow him. Not for inconvenience. I remember when I... I made a decision to follow Christ, and I remember the very first day someone said, your life's going to be much better, which it was. But you know what I, meant, what I thought that it meant? It meant problem-free, no problems at all. Life is going to be great. And I remember there were six or seven other friends like that, and it was like, you know, being a Christian is hard. It was. If you want to real, really live like a follower of Christ, it be, it's really, really hard. You know, there's this idea I saw another day. Um, have you guys heard about what's a flexitarian? So flexitarian, it's a group of people that decided one day they were going to become vegetarians. So they only eat vegetables. But then once in a while, this is n not me saying that. That's themselves saying about that. It's a flexitarian. So what that meant is... You make a decision to eat vegetables, but then once in a while you can eat some bacon. 
Or you go to a steakhouse or eat vegetables during the week and then you go eat some steak. That's a flexitarian. I didn't come up with this. But we should not be Christians flexitarians. Right? And that's the truth about discipleship. It's understanding that you're all the way in. Yes, salvation is free. Yes, there's so many good things about being a follower of Christ, but we do need to deny our own desires of the flesh, the sin, and surrender completely to God. I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive the person who hurt me. Uh, I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to give money. I want to follow Jesus, but don't talk about my sexual life. That's a pet I'm going to have, this and that. It's a full commitment approach, following Christ all the way. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So in my house, when we have uh, dinner, we, we have lunch or dinner, so there's one thing that my kids, they do that drives me crazy, okay? So when they're sitting, they sit, I call that half butt. So they call half, they, they want to play so bad, they're so excited. And we always tell, okay, this is meal time. You're going to focus on this. Don't bring any toys. And some of them bring their Legos. No, no, no. No toys. And then I have two. They insist in doing this where they sit half of the leg on the seat and the other one out. And they're eating. And they're almost like, I want to eat really quick. That way I can go do something else. They're not focused on their meal. They're not focused on us. They're focused on eating quick and go. But then their body language just shows because their plates like this and their leg is on the other end and they really want to eat quick and just move out. And some of them, they're so sneaky that all of a sudden they're gone. And we're like, where is so-and-so? Gone. And I tell them, no half butts. And it's the same way I tell you and I tell myself, we can't be half-butt Christians. Have commitment all the way. We make, take the cross, deny ourselves to follow Christ. Verse 24, for whoever wants. So Jesus started using this hyperbole, right? Things that might not happen. Exaggeration. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Can we save our own lives? No, we can't. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is for someone to gain the whole world? Can you gain the whole world? No, we cannot. And yet lose or forfeit their very self. Here again. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man, will be ashamed of them. And he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Huge price to be a follower. 100% commitment. We must follow Jesus this way. Because that's the only way we will ever find life. If you search for other things in the world, you're going to find yourself miserable. There's a price to be paid to be a Christian, but it's worth it. And we have, later on, we have two examples of a fan. People who want to follow Christ, but not really. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you whenever you go. 
That's a big word. Whatever you go, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's talking the big game here. He says, I'll follow Jesus without any reservation. But it looked to me that Jesus draw his attention to the fact that this man loved comfort life more than following him. You realize, following me, you are not going to have a place to sleep. Oh, that's too much. And then he said to another man, fan number two. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, first, let me go and bury my father. Don't say that in a funeral. Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. But first, let me do this. Don't we say that to God? I will follow you, but first I would like to do this, but not right now. We treat our relationship with God almost like a diet. You know, God, I, you know, I'm going to just stop eating garbage but to, to get into a diet, but let me eat first this chimichanga. And we do that sometimes. Not all the way relationship. Not 100% committed. Now, here's how I would like to end this for us to think about it. Can you imagine what God can do in your life and the life of people around you if you surrender completely to God? If you become a follower of Christ all the way? Can you imagine what God can do to the families? In this town, we have a problem with families, not just in this church, but in the whole country. Can you imagine if the fathers and the mothers, starting with them, surrender completely to God to follow Christ? Can you imagine the future of the family? Can you imagine what Hannaford is going to be like if that becomes truth in this church, in this town? You don't know what hangs in the balance of that decision. Because it might affect you tremendously, but you don't know how it affects others. Remember Peter? Peter made a decision to follow Christ. With all the doubts, he continued following Christ. Can you imagine if Peter along the way said, this is too hard? Can you imagine the impact of generations and generations and generations for all the disciples that made a decision to follow Christ, it didn't happen. Whoever, I'll bring back to that, an invitation of whoever didn't change. Whatever place you are, whatever stage in life you are, the invitation is to whoever wants to follow him. Whoever. Anyone. That means anyone. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. In the very end of life of Peter, he wrote this. This is the guy that denied Christ. This is the guy that struggled following Christ. This is the guy that didn't understand and he had to die. Sinful men. 
at the end of his life, here is what he wrote. 1 Peter 2.23 When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusts himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter, at the end of his life, he understood it's all worth it. And guess what? He died for our sins on a cross. All of us. And whoever believes, whoever must deny themselves, take up a cross and follow him. Are you a follower of Christ or are you a fan? Let's pray. Father, we, we just want to surrender everything to you. Help us to see the big picture, what do you want to do in our lives and the lives of the people around us. I pray in the name of Jesus as you hear the prayers of these people. And what hangs in the balance of our decision, it's not just about us, our future, but the future of generations to come. And I pray as you hear us, as we surrender to you, as you forgive our sins. Help us to put you in charge of everything in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.